in today's show, we're talking about the 2022-2023 season of the NBA champion Denver Nuggets, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. The NBA season is over. The Denver Nuggets are the champions and I'm not going to lie, I got a little bit emotional. Because you know, given my sports fandom history, seeing a team that has struggled for so long and hasn't had that success, which is something that, that I experienced with my uh, local Australian football team um, back in 2016, where we hadn't won a title. We'd won one in our history and we hadn't won in 60 years. The feelings were amazing. And seeing the Nuggets fans being able to celebrate that at home and the absolute 100% likability factor of guys like uh, Nikola Jokic in particular, and of course, Jamal Murray. It just was a, a great feeling That's you know, I know Heat fans won't want to hear that. Like, oh, I don't fuck you guys. Um, but it's really hard if you're not a Heat fan, I, I would say, to feel anything but excited and rapt and pleased and honestly, like emotional for Nuggets fans and Nuggets players. It's an amazing thing to win that title. They were the best team very clearly in the playoffs. They were the best team in the Western Conference all season. Yes, they didn't finish with the league's best record or the league's best rate, and they also didn't try for the last four and a half weeks of the year. Um, Nikola Jokic is the best player in the world, and they go into next season with a a challenge to repeat. It is hard always to do that. Hangover, impact. Um, There's a big, big question mark in terms of the, the roster as well, in terms of what they do, but they've got the best player in the world. And that is the in one of the biggest keys to being successful. So awesome from them to just smash really all the way through the playoffs. What did they lose? That one random overtime game against the Wolves. The two games against the Suns where Devin Booker shot 80% from the field. And then game two in this series where the Heat shot, what, 58% from three or whatever it was. So honestly, they just dominated basically every game. And it took real outlier. The Wolves game, maybe not so much, but it just took outlier performances to knock them off in those other three. They were thoroughly deserved. I never want to hear any bullshit about, well, it's actually the weakest field they've ever had to face and the seeds and yeah, they took on eight seeds and it's the championship doesn't mean as much. I, honestly, ranking championships, well, this one is actually better than this one, is one of the dumbest things in the world. I will never do it. I do not care about it. You won, you beat who was there in a league that is way more even and a lot more parity than has been in the past. You smashed every team possible. You smashed the team that beat the teams that were supposedly good. What more can you do? Unbelievable stuff. Every championship is as important as everyone else. And honestly, just enjoy it, Nuggets fans. So we're going to talk now about the season, looking at it from a fantasy landscape, pushing through to talk about dynasty value of these guys. We might as well get into it now. Warney, what do you think? Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> All right, so the Nuggets, 53 and 29 in the regular season. I reckon 
they probably could have. They're probably a 56, 57 win team given the way that they did take the foot off the brakes or off the accelerator towards the end of the season. Sixth in net rating, plus 3.8. Fifth best offense and 17th best defense. And I think the 17th best defense thing is really interesting because the mantra we are always smashed into our heads in sport defense wins championships. And you know what? I'm not sure it does anymore. I don't, I don't think it does. The good defensive teams. Didn't, it didn't make sense. It didn't work out in the playoffs. And that's not just a basketball thing. You've got to have a solid enough defense. And the, the Nuggets defense was solid enough, 17th. But you don't have to be the best defense in the NBA or in the NFL to win titles. Can't say that tell me the Chiefs had the best defense for the NFL. They had the best offense. Or yeah, a very, very good offense. So I think there's a little bit of a paradigm shift in that defense, defense wins championships idea. And the Heat even getting through to where they got to. They didn't get there by being the um, playoffs' best defense. They weren't. They weren't anywhere close to being the playoffs' best defense. So it's an interesting thing that when we think about it, we'll always go back to that. Defense wins championships. And and I'm not sure, maybe this is an outlier, but it has been trending this way a little bit anyway, that you've got to be passable. But having a good offense trumps having a good defense, I think, at this point in the NBA and in other sports. And I'm not sure that trend is going away. Their best lineup, intriguing lineup. It's their starters, the headmaster, Jamal Murray, Maga Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Big Chungus, Nikola Jokic, I'll play this hand later, but Bruce Brown in there for Contavious Kawhi Pope, plus 32.7. And I reckon we know that their top six, which is that five plus Contavious Kawhi Pope, was awesome. They were awesome through the playoffs. They were really strong through the regular season. And... That's the problem we're going to get to in a second is that one of those guys who was a key part of a lot of good lineups and in that best lineup there, Bruce Brown, is maybe not going to be on the team next season. Shout out to NBA Paint for using the Shark nickname as well on Bruce Brown. And he was amazing yesterday as well with that um, offensive rebound put back in the last minute and a half or whatever it was. It basically sealed the game. They are well over the salary cap, 66 million projected at the moment. Bunch of guys out of contract. The important one there is Bruce Brown, who has that player option. He will opt out of that, which is like 6.7 million. He'll probably get over 10 million somewhere. The Nuggets have a real problem in being able to afford that because they can't go over the cap with uh, no bird rights. They can go to 120%, which that might not be enough. Now, he might just say, well, I love being here and I'll take the 8 million or whatever it is he can get paid. Do a two plus one at three years, 24 million or whatever it is with a player option so that he can opt out and then they'll have bird rights and they can sign into a bigger deal later on if necessary. I don't know that he'll want to do that or not, but that's the big key piece here. It's going to inform a lot of what we talk about with this team fantasy-wise. And the other guys are all veterans. Jeff Green, Ish Smith, DeAndre Jordan, Reggie Jackson. Jordan actually got minutes in game five. Um, Jeff Green has been a key player. and I think they'll bring him back. He's a really interesting uh, guy that is just super reliable and still just, you know, jams, dunks on people's heads at age 39 or whatever it is. The other one there is Thomas Bryant, who requested a trade away from the Lakers to get more playing time, played never, and still got a championship. So was it a W from him? I don't know. I don't know where what he ends up doing. I don't think they'd prioritize bringing him back. But what other team looks at him and says, yeah, he is a guy that we want to prioritize. We'll talk more about Bryant in a second. But that is how their offseason shapes up. They're two-way guys, Colin Gillespie and, um, and Jack White. 
They are both restricted guys. Jack White, I think, has got a little bit of potential. I'm not sure about Colin Gillespie. In terms of the draft, they do have two second-round picks. They just traded that uh, trade with the Thunder. They get pick 37. They don't have a first rounder. That went um, or with the Hornets, actually, now as part. It's got roped into the Jalen Duran deal last draft. They got 37 and 40, according to my mock draft ADP database. That would lead them with Tristan Vukcevic and pick 40 would be Julian Strouder. Um, yeah, okay. I, th- I think Vukcevic is probably going to end up in the first round or higher than that, and Strouder is probably going to be available there. But they can, and they work a lot of a lot of not magic necessarily, but they are able to do some pretty good stuff in the 20s to 30s historically in the draft. We already saw the impact of Christian Brown this season, um, and they might be able to get not even rotation players, but guys that you can chuck in and sort of start to develop. So there are some valuable players there, and I think, like I talked about this yesterday, that the draft um, has lost a lot of the back end value. But in the top 40, 45, there's still some really good players who are probably first-round type of guys in a draft next season. So having two top 40 picks actually has a little bit more value than we might expect looking at it on the surface. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Now the NBA playoffs are done, so the million dollar Superflex deal is over, but that doesn't mean you don't want to play Prize Picks because Prize Picks is daily fantasy and it's daily fantasy made easy. Instead of going up against so many other people with you know, thousands of lineups and computer algorithms and trying to get these prize pools and, and win it that way with salary caps, it's not that. It's just player projections. They're, they're, you can do it for baseball, you can do it for hockey, which is going to be over really soon, or other sports. And you just choose more or less than the individual number they put out there. You get six of those in there, and you can win up to 25 times your money back. And you can do it for all of these sports. Of course, the NBA is not running now. But Major League Baseball, you've got NASCAR, you've got PGA, you have got MMA, you've got boxing, you've got disc golf. Of course, the GOAT, it's always going to be there. The college sports coming back as well. We're not far away from NFL season restarting also. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com and sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix gives you $50. Don't forget, enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, let's do it. Yeah, look, he's really good. Like, what, what, what more can we say about Nikola Jokic? Now, I don't want to come out here and say, you know, I knew Jokic was better, it was good before anybody else, because that's probably not true. But I have been a big supporter of Jokic for a very long time. I did vote for him in my fake vote ballot this year again as MVP. Back in his rookie season, I had him as the clear number two behind Carl Anthony Towns. Obviously, he's better than Towns now. And I have been a big proponent of Nikola Jokic for a very, very long time. And I don't, you know, I don't need to convince anybody anymore. He is the best player in the NBA as it currently stands. He's the best player in the world. He's the most likable player in the world. I'd say he just does not like some people might say this stuff of not caring. He does not care about any individual accolades, the focus of him, yes, or not focus. He's like, I just want to get my daughter and I just want to go home. I just want to go back to Serbia and I want to race my horses. He's like, yeah, we've got to race on Sunday. Like he just wants to do that. That's all he wants to do. Like he was pissed off that he had to wait till Thursday for the parade. He's like, bro, I just want to go home. I just want to go with my horses. And it's all legitimate. It's all absolutely 100% real with him. He just does not care. And it is... I think one of the reasons they have the success they do because he just doesn't care. He doesn't need... He he knows that he's good, but he doesn't demand that he gets everything catered to him. He has the most no-fuss superstar currently in the NBA, one of the most no-fuss superstars ever. 
And he is a superstar because he's the best player in the world. And he has been for three years. And it's a key part in building this team. Now, what I do worry a little bit about is that historically, Jokic has come into seasons and been a little bit slow. He's been a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of fitness. And given the extended season that he's run and he's just absolute fatigue and wanting to get out of here and go home, I think we might have that problem rear its head next season where the first month or so, he's just a little bit off. And then something clicks and he goes, all right, time to get serious, time to me to kick these other fool's asses. And he does it. So I think that'll happen. And I think he's, he's going to be great again. He was the number one player, again, in category leagues, in points leagues for totals, but not in points leagues for um, uh, per game. He was third in points leagues for per game value. But he's going to be drafted number one everywhere. Now, you'll see there on the screen, his ADP is at two. It was actually 1.7, so I rounded it up. I guess in points leagues, taking Luka at number one can make some sense. But you're taking Jokic at number one in categories. Now, there is the gap got narrowed a little bit between him and Embiid this season. And there's a real chance that he doesn't finish number one. But it doesn't matter. You take him at number one, and that's what all it is. And if he finishes two, or if he finishes three, it literally does not matter. That's what you do. He's 28. He played 34 minutes a game. He only played he only played 69 games, Nikola Jokic. Giggity. Which is still a good number. But we always have to remember that you know the, the thought of him is he never gets hurt. Well, he did get hurt a little bit this season. It wasn't huge. Wasn't a massive injury, but nobody is immune from this at any point. We we hope he never gets hurt, but he did miss some time. Twenty eight usage only, twenty five, twelve, and ten, one point three steals, sixty three, thirty eight, and eighty two. They're just elite numbers. And look at this: he led the league in EPM, hundredth percentile, seven point nine. He led the league in estimated wins, hundredth percentile, plus seventeen. He led the league in Darko, plus seven point one, and he led the league in LeBron. Plus 7.31. I know people go, well, Jokic is the, the, the Vorp champ and he's whatever he's Raptor and that tells us. I think at some point we have to go, you know what? Maybe the advanced numbers actually tell us something because he's been the leader in these things for so long. He's had some of the best seasons ever in terms of a lot of advanced metrics. And the reason he had those seasons in the advanced metrics being that high is because he's that good. And I think we're finally seeing that tie together that, hey, there is a little bit of reliability in some of these numbers, it tells us this bloke's actually unbelievable. And whether you want to say he's a top 20 player all time already, which you can, and I don't care that much about those numbers, but understand that the advanced numbers have been telling us this already for years. Even as a rookie, I think he was like top 20 in some of those advanced metrics as a rookie. It's been there. It's been there telling us, and finally, people are realizing it. Look at his fantasy points graph. Like, is there even one game there where his fantasy points were less than his minutes? Maybe one game there around the middle of January. There's like maybe one where it touched the line and maybe another one there at the start of March. But he's awesome. Like, what more can I say about Big Chungus? We can look at that EPM graph. Look how far above the baseline that is. Look how far above the zero and it gets better in the playoffs. Just a, an astonishing run from um, Big Chungus. He's unbelievable. And he will be unbelievable for many years to come. Let's talk about the headmaster, Jamal Murray, who was returning from his ACL injury. There was definitely some misinformation about Jamal Murray at draft season. I definitely pushed back on this. His ADP was 79. I was very much into drafting him around the 70s or 60s, so a little bit higher than that, because there was this misinformation that came out that he wouldn't be ready to play until January and that he would sit out and be on a minutes restriction for most of the season. And that was clear bullshit at the time, and it did scare people off. 
He finished 58th per game, 66 minus one. He played 65 games. He's only 26. 33 minutes, 27 usage, average 20 points, six assists, a steal, 2.6 triples. Now, people will look at what Jamal Murray did in the playoffs and say, well, we are definitely jumping him a lot higher than this in drafts. And there's a risk factor in doing that because in the playoffs, we play seven-man rotations a lot of the time. He's playing like 40 minutes a night. Things change. The big indicator for future value in fantasy is what happened last regular season versus what happened last playoffs. Now, he's going to be further removed from the ACL injury, so the 32 minutes might be 34, but this Nuggets team doesn't put huge minutes loads on players, so he's not going to be running 37 a night. He's not going to average double-digit assists like he did in the NBA Finals. He's going to do... I would think there's an improvement for him and a top 50 season, absolutely no problem, but I wouldn't be looking at top 25 for him based on the playoffs only, because that would mean like he's going to start getting 26 points a game, three and a half triples, eight assists, 1.33 steals, which I just don't think is realistic. So he will probably be better than this based on another year removed from the ACL, playing at an extraordinarily high level in the playoffs. But that doesn't just port straight over to the next regular season. He was great in all the advanced stuff, 86 percentile EPM, 88th estimated wins. It... LeBron doesn't love him as much. Darko does. Darko loves a lot of their starters because Darko does take playoff data in. So you see a few of their guys. Or there's like four of their guys who are top 30 in Darko because of how well they played in the playoffs. And that graph is continually pushing up there for Darko as well. Again, he missed a bunch of time early on, but the um, and he had the knee flare up there around that trade deadline period where it was the opposite leg and he was missing some time. So that, that was a little bit of worry. He ended up with 65 games played, Murray. But I think he's a prime candidate to get overdrafted. If he starts going turn round two, round three, which I think might happen, that's too early for me because it's extrapolating big minute playoff performances to go through a regular season when there's going to be fatigue, there's going to be hangover effects, and there's just going to be the idea that like they just don't do that in the regular season. That's just not what happens. So I think that there is like when we look at what he did this season, like can you shoot better than forty percent from three? Sure, but don't bank on it. Better than 45% from the field? Maybe. Maybe it's 47. Um, can he be more than 6.2 assists? It's asking a lot. More than 20 points? Yeah, let's go 22. Sure, right? That um, 33 minutes might become 34. But it's not going to be 37 or 36. So yeah, I think the 58 rank where he was is a great number coming off the ACL. He might be 45th. He might be 50th. But 25th, 29th? I don't think so. I don't think it gets there. Now, he elevated again in the playoffs. We can see that EPM graph um, really step forward there. He was great, but it doesn't always mean that that translates just straight across into the uh, NBA regular season. I think Michael Porter Jr. would hope that some of the playoff stuff doesn't necessarily translate to the regular season as well. Although his playoffs were strong, his finals weren't that great. He was the 104th ranked player this season, 99th in minus one. He had an ADP of 61. And I don't remember exactly where I had Porter, but I definitely know that he was a do not draft guy at ADP for me. Because his ADP, even though I pushed out to 61, there was he was ranked on sites at like 54, 55, which made zero sense. Because part of the reason why the year before he was pre-ranked so high, and I had him high at like 30 maybe the year before, is because Jamal Murray wasn't there. And he was going to have to take on a role of being the number two scoring option. That is why that ranking got pushed that high. But this season, coming off a back injury with Jamal Murray there, he just had no reason to expect that he was going to be that player again. And 61 was an insane uh, number for me. He finished 104th, as I said. He averaged 17 points. He hit three threes. He did sort of what you would want him to do. 
62 games. Now, he had some injury problems again. He missed a big chunk of the season early on. And there's going to be consistent injury problems. We've heard this story come out all the time now about this drop foot issue caused by his back and the constant ankle brace, which makes me think he's never going to be more than a 30-minute-a-night regular season player. And you look at what he did, 17 points with three threes. He shot 41% from three, 49% from the field. That's literally everything that his job is. You couldn't argue with, well, you need to do more here. Will he ever be a high steals and blocks guy and assist guy? Almost definitely not. Higher than 23 usage, not with a healthy Murray and Jokic. So what Porter did this year with the consistent injury problems, the ankle, the back, all that sort of stuff, I think this is like realistic. He Again, he's impactful. 90th percentile EPM, 30 rank on Darko. LeBron doesn't like him as much, 39th percentile, but you see that Darko graph pushing up. He's really, really useful at doing what he needs to do and being a positive contributor. But given the structure of this team, the structure of his health, the structure of his minutes and what his role is, like 17 and a half and five and a half, maybe he can get to six and a half rebounds, maybe, but with Aaron Gordon there, that's just not going to be a priority. I don't see big changes for Porter and I'd be pretty loath to draft him inside the top 100. Despite the absolute elite shooting they still can bring, I would be loath to look inside the top 100 for Maga Porter Jr. You can see that big gap there that I talked about with some missed games early in the season, but he was able to come back, play through, and be you know, good, inconsistent, but good. And I'm not really sure with the way this team is how how that changes. And you can see on the EPM graph the big, big drop-off towards the end there. Playoffs were pretty good for him, but he did lose quite a bit of momentum in the finals and was benched at times, which is the right decision. And he actually... Credit to him, like with all public-facing stuff, he seemed to take it on board and, and do the right thing and not sulk or anything along those lines. Let's talk about Aaron Gordon now, who, I'm not going to lie, I did not expect to see some of these numbers that came out here. He had an ADP of 134. He's been a guy that has struggled in the past to be a top 100 player, um, has had a limited fantasy game. And if you look at his category league rank, he's 123rd, and you go, okay, fair enough. But his minus one rank had him at 86th. His fantasy points rank had him at 76. So that's actually really good. And part of the reason why the big discrepancy between cat rank and minus one rank is his free throws were just horrible. 60% from the line. Take that away. 16 points, six and a half boards, 0.8 blocks, three assists. It's really, really good. Much better than Magaporta Jr. Much better. And I just didn't expect to see that 40 spot discrepancy with removing his free throws and putting him into that area. It's really intriguing. He also played only 30 minutes a game. They don't necessarily need him to play more, but if Bruce Brown does go, and Jeff Green, maybe, who knows, does he retire? I don't think he does. But maybe there's 32 minutes here for Gordon. Maybe he can be 18 and 8. Best case scenario. He's 28. He's not quite 28. He's almost 28. He's in the prime of his career. He's not a big high-volume three-point guy. He's an elite Field goal percentage player now because he takes smart shots. His usage doesn't change that much. He's just that because the bloke playing next to him is the best player in the world, puts him in the position to hit the right shots rather than himself creating the way he did in Orlando. So while that overall rank for Gordon's not super strong, 123, I might be more interested in drafting him inside the top 100 next season if I'm in a situation where I'm punting free throws. His advanced stuff, again, the playoffs really loved him, plus 4.4, 95th percentile in EPM. 79th percentile LeBron, 24th overall player in Darko. Huge jump this season in his effectiveness on the Darko graph there. He was just really strong. And I, I am honestly surprised to see that his overall fantasy value was as good as it was. 
You see really strong contributions in the playoffs, held up really strongly in the playoffs, in those tough matchups. Yeah, there's always going to be some dips, but for a guy like that, like having a season the way he did, really, really impressive. Let's talk about another impressive player, the Shark, Bruce Brown. I think I just think he's really good. I think it was dumb that the uh, Pistons traded him away for you know a cash dump of DeAndre Jordan. Um, I, I think nearly every move the Pistons do seems to be dumb. Brown also I thought was successful in Brooklyn, playing as a center, and then they just didn't pay him and went and became. Honestly, I I don't remember my awards ballot, but I'm pretty sure I had him top three for six man of the year. If I didn't, it's probably a mistake. He finished 129th in category leagues, but 79th in totals. He played 80 games. He's 27, 29 minutes a game. 29 minutes a game, 18 usage, 11 points, four rebounds, three and a half assists, a steal, shot 48, 36, and 76. There's nothing about that Bruce Brown line that makes you get super excited. You look at the numbers and go, well, if he goes to another team, yeah, but he already did play 29 minutes. And I don't think if he goes to another team that you want Bruce Brown to be a 25 usage player. Yes, 18% usage could get higher for him, absolutely. No doubt about that. Could he average more than three and a half assists playing without Murray and Jokic? Yes, four and a half is possible. Um, He can get more steals at times. He can be a better scorer at times. But he's probably going to be one of those guys that you like having on your roster. You stream in, you stream out without being a necessarily high-priority draftable guy. And drafting round 10, round 11, no worries. And some of it's going to be just determining where he is on this team or on another team next season. In the minutes of 29 a night, it's a big gap if he does move for someone else to fill in there. But also the absences of Murray, the absences of Porter during the year where they missed probably 40 games combined or close to it, enabled um, Brown to push up to 29. And there were times where he played 24 minutes a night or 23 minutes a night. And that did, you know, it was basically whenever someone was out, he started right for this team and, and put up those big numbers. There were occasions where they chucked someone else in there. But there are um, yeah, other situations here where if they don't miss, if Jokic doesn't miss 15 games and Porter doesn't miss 20 and Murray doesn't miss 18, does Brown even get to 29? Does he play 27 a night? Closes games but plays 27. Eh, it's possible. So while I look at all of this as being really good and solid, he's still not a super high upside fantasy player. 144th in Darko, net neutral there. Um, EPM didn't love him that much, 57th percentile, LeBron 27th percentile. So for as good as he was, the advanced stuff didn't quite love him as much, and he's definitely not a good fantasy points player. He's a great player in this role. He's probably going to get strong money um, in free agency, or he just comes back and loves his role in this team and sort of does what he did this season. Don't really see much reason why it could be that different. Contavious Caldwell-Pope. The first thing you're going to look at on this graph, I'm guessing, is that Darko graph. And look at the absolutely ridiculous, insane leap that he took from being a member of the Wizards to heading onto this team and being just unbelievably impactful. He finished 130th in category leagues. He had an ADP of 141, drafted in 25% of leagues. He played 76 games, 31 minutes. He's 30 now. The reason he was able to get to that level where he was, or 88th in totals, is because he just you know, got steals, really. 1.5 steals. He averaged 11 points, under two threes, under three assists, under two and a half, sorry, under three rebounds, under two and a half assists, shot 42% from three, but it's not particularly high volume, 82% from the line, but no attempts. He got steals. He was a steals specialist sort of guy who added some threes. He's a useful enough player, but not someone that, or, or is someone actually, when 
you go to look at um, overall value in fantasy that you might end up overrating him. Like if you look at nine cat, straight nine cat per game value, he comes out at 94th. If you look at um, nine cat totals, he's 59th. And there is just no way in the world you would consider KCP a a top 60 player. He's not a fifth round player. But again, totals and nine cat, the absolute most misleading ranking you can give a player will put him really high when really what he got by with there is good steal numbers. Really good player, really solid player. Probably plays 30, 31 again next season. Does very similar things, but 42. He was at like 46% for a big chunk of the season as well, hitting his threes. And that did drop off, which is what you would expect. You don't expect someone to be able to continue to shoot at that level. So there's probably really from what he did, I'd say there's only downside for KCP next season. And that pushes him outside the top 130 per game, leaving him to be probably not a draftable player. Probably not. For as good as he was, and he was great, and he's a key part of winning playoff teams, his fantasy value doesn't really have huge scope to improve, I don't think. They're the main guys. They're your main six. Now <laughs> now it gets interesting. Thomas Bryant was the 192nd ranked player this season. Remember, context is always important. 195th in minus one rank. He had an ADP of 141. For some reason, people drafted him. Why? Well, he started when Anthony Davis went out, was able to put up numbers, and then that was it. He was out of the rotation in LA when Davis came back, went to Denver, and was out of the rotation because he's one of those players, again, you will get sucked into where he will come out and he will play minutes and he'll put up numbers, but he's actually not a good player overall as a winning player. The fantasy numbers will come. He had runs of being a top 60 guy when Davis was out. But overall, it's one of the key things of evaluating things in dynasty and in fantasy. Does this make any sense for the long run? Is there any way they get any sort of upgrade which pushes him to the side? And the answer with Bryant has been for a long time, yes. Well, sorry, the answer is yes, they will find someone and push him to the side because he's just not that good. And you got to, again, it's always passing the info. Oh, man, but LeBron said, man, I've been dreaming of ways that me and Brian and Davis can play together. Yeah, well, keep dreaming about it, LeBron, because he's just never going to be that player. So while he comes in as a 192nd ranked player, he averaged 10 and 6 with half a block. He shot 44% from three. Amazing. Super low volume. Yeah, 62% overall. He's a great fantasy player. Points, rebounds, threes, blocks, field goal percentage. He's just bad. Negative 1.7 Darko. That's 367th in the NBA. 33rd percentile LeBron. 49th percentile EPM. Look at the way that things dropped off for him. Now, I think he, you could have made arguments to play him a little bit more in Denver, but he's so bad defensively that they were better off running Jeff Green at center or Zeke Naji or DeAndre Jordan because he struggles so much on that end that the, what he gives offensively is also not good enough to make up for that fact. So he's only 26. He was almost definitely not coming back to Denver. People will be interested to hear when he signs somewhere and they will look at him and go, oh, maybe just, just maybe he can play with this guy. But I'm telling you, he'll have flashes. But overall, when he gets, unless something completely changes with his game, when he gets there, he'll play and then teams will go, man, what are we doing? He's cooking us. He's cooking us defensively. We can't do anything with him on the court. He's just not that level of winning player. And one of the biggest disconnects between fantasy value when he plays versus what the real life value is, I think resides with Tom Bryant. And I was pretty vocal about it during the season, talking about 
bro, like once Davis comes back, there's no way you're holding on to Bryant. You've got to sell high. You've got to get rid of him. It's not going to stick. He's not going to play these minutes. It just doesn't work. And I maintain that idea. I maintained it all the year before when he played with Washington and they were playing him over better players like Daniel Gafford. And it's always going to be a concern to me with Bryant that there'll be flashes, but overall, the idea, and we've seen it multiple spots now, it's just not going to end up working out, I don't think. You can see, look at after he got traded, look at all those blue DMP dots on that graph. They just didn't want to play him, and they desperately needed a backup center. Didn't work out. Let's go to Vlako Chanchar, who I think early on in his career was able to get a spot on this roster, honestly, because he's Jokic's mate. But he flashed a few little things. He's not particularly good. He's 336th in category leagues. He played 15 minutes a game for 60 games. Shot 37% from three. His advanced numbers are abominable. Third percentile LeBron. 19th EPM. Eighth percentile estimated wins. He averaged five points, two rebounds, 0.4 blocks, 14 usage. But in terms of backup bigs, he at times was better than Jeff Green. He was better than DeAndre Jordan. He played some center. He's okay. I don't mind keeping him on a roster. I don't think there's much fantasy upside in him. He's nothing really stands out there as what he's able to do. Like, there's no like, oh, well, but the blocks are great, or that three-point volume, or he's a sneaky passer. He's okay as a passer. 1.3 assists in 15 minutes is okay as a center. It's not great. I think he's just an okay, serviceable, rotation big man. And honestly, I've probably spent too long talking about Vlako Chancha. I'm not going to talk about guys like DeAndre Jordan, Jeff Green, Ish Smith, or Reggie Jackson on this show because I don't really see the point of it. They're older. They might not be on the team. There's no dynasty upside with them at all. So I'm not going to cover those guys. I'm going to cover some of the younger guys who've got a little bit more uh, intrigue. And one of those is Zeke Naji, who can't seem to put it together. First round pick a few years ago, 369th in category leagues. He's only 22 still, somehow, after three years. 52 games, 14 minutes, 16 usage. He shot 26% from three, and that was the selling point on Najee. Actually, he can be a defender, and he can block shots, but hey, watch out. I think he can shoot. Not this year. Five points, three rebounds, 0.4 blocks, 56, 26, and 65. The advanced stuff was relatively rough. It was a little bit better than, than Chanchar. He shows flashes, and you can see early on in year two for him, he's on that darker graph. He really started to push up and be an impactful player. But so many injuries that every time he seems to get an opportunity to be the backup center, to have an opportunity to start at power forward even or play some backup four, that something happens and he gets hurt. Only 52 games again this season, so I am losing hope in Najee ever developing into a starting caliber player. In fact, I'm pretty much out on that. There is still an intriguing fantasy skill set with blocks and threes and points and rebounds. But health... There's been is a problem. There's been no real rapid improvement in his game, and he can't seem to get things happening together long enough for it to happen. Like you can see, even on this points fantasy points graph, just the amount of ins and outs that he had, and the big injury gap there. He's just always something that's going on with Naji that seems to stifle his momentum. An interesting player, but. Actually, I was going to talk about this guy later on, but I'll talk about it now. They got a guy they picked in the second round um, of the draft last season, Ishmael Kamagate, who played for Paris, who could easily come across this season. I think he might, and take Naji's role. Kamagate played 23 minutes. He averaged nine points, um, eight rebounds, 1.4 blocks for Paris last season. In, he played in the Euro Cup. He played 23 minutes a game there and averaged nine points and eight and a half rebounds and 1.5 blocks at a step-up competition. I, I, If I'm investing in a dynasty league, I think I might prefer a Kamagate to a Naji. 
I know I haven't seen Kamagate play, but I get the idea that they want to bring him over and they'll, you know, Jordan will go or Brian will go and then it'll be Naji and Kamagate and Chancha playing some of those backup minutes and Ishmael might have a little bit more upside. So I'm a little bit out here on Zeke. I was in somewhat, but it just hasn't really come together. Let's talk about Christian Brown, a player who was able to put in some really big performances in the NBA playoffs. His regular season, there was a lot of consternation with Nuggets. Hey, why isn't Brown in the rotation? Um, He played 76 games. I didn't think it was that much. 15, 16 minutes a night as a unheralded late first round pick. He's got great size, six foot seven as a wing. He's a very strong defender. But a lot of the way that Nuggets fans would speak about him, oh, he's got to be out there. He makes things happen. The advanced metrics tell a completely different story. And I was shocked to see this. I thought he'd be one of those guys, oh, look at that. He was actually quite impactful. 321st in Darko. 17th percentile EPM, negative four. Fifth percentile for estimated wins. Fourth percentile for LeBron. Horrible numbers. He averaged five points. He averaged two and a half rebounds, half a steal in 16 minutes. You put that to 30 minutes, it is what? Nine points or 10 points, five rebounds, a steal, 1.8 assists. Not even, it's even less than that. Like They're not good numbers, but 50% shooting as a rookie is strong. 35% from three is good. Tenacity on the court was great. We loved what he was able to do and he flashes some things and he had that game in game four where he what went and shot six of seven or whatever it was from the field and that sticks in our head. And when we get to, and I'll show you the EPM graph in a second, you'll see how it just continued to improve. And while I'm painting a negative picture of Christian Brown, if Bruce Brown does leave, I would expect that Christian Brown plays maybe not the 29 minutes a night that Bruce did, but he's a regular rotation guy getting 25 minutes a night, probably wouldn't be a 12-team draftable player. And he is already 22, so he's a little bit older as a rookie, same age as Zeke Naji, a little bit older as a rookie, but I would expect some pretty significant changes for his uh, value next season. The 13 usage, if he plays 10 more minutes a game and gets to 18 usage or 17 usage and shoots better from the line and generates more steals and more assists, I think he's got a couple of top 100 seasons in him at age 26, 27. I'm not 100% convinced of that, but the way he was able to play when... I didn't think he'd even get rotation minutes at all this season. And then we'll bring it over now, the EPM graph. Just a consistent improvement all season. And then in the playoffs, the hardest time to play, even better. Kept getting better. And while I say we can't translate playoff stats over to the regular season, and we can't, but playing well in the playoffs, and now and you pair that with maybe there's an opening with the Shark moving on, maybe... I think they'd be fairly comfortable slotting Christian Brown into a good chunk of those Bruce Brown minutes. Now, then Brown was, Christian was already playing 16 minutes a game. So someone else needs to come in and take those. And that's where pick 37 and pick 40 come in. But 25 minutes a night for Christian Brown, no problem. I, I can easily see that. Becomes a 14-team league guy. If you're playing deeper rosters in 12s, you might have a look at that. There is, a, I think if he's going to break out, it's probably at age 25, like year four and really start to develop into a high-level starter. But there's no reason when they're planning for the future, and they're a really strong team at planning for the future. Like, I think, yeah, Kamagate can come across, and there's another guy later on we'll talk about. But when KCP's 33, that Brown just is that starter. He's that player. No, he's never that shooter, and he needs to get more consistent and reliable with his three, but you know, he's a rookie. We expect that to improve. The guy that I am 
really, really interested in, and his fantasy numbers and even his advanced numbers won't tell you why, it's Peyton Watson. The bloke averaged three points a game for UCLA last season. He averaged three points a game for Denver this season. He's 20. He was 470th in category. At least he played only 23 games, eight minutes a game. That's nothing, right? He didn't do anything. He averaged half a block in eight minutes. There's something we're getting interested in. 43% from three. All right. It's it's low low volume. His advanced metrics aren't super strong, but they're equivalent to Christian Brown, if not better in some areas. But let's look at the fantasy points graph and look at the end of the season. He got some minutes and he was good. He played backup center. He played at the four. He came in as probably a guy that thought, well, maybe is this guy a two? Is he a three? Is he a wing? Where is he? But the Nuggets said, no, he's actually a small ball five. And he plays it. You can play at the four a little bit. And if you look at what he did in the G League, you're gonna be you're gonna be not shocked because I've already hyped it up to tell you they're gonna be good. But he played 19 minutes in the G League, 34 minutes a night. He averaged 20 points per game. He only hit 25% from three, but he averaged 20 points per game, seven rebounds, three assists, 1.4 steals, 1.5 blocks. For those of you playing fantasy points leagues, that's 39 fantasy points a game in the G League. That's really good. For a guy that played so much in the G League and not in the NBA, contrast that to a Dalen Terry in the G League. Not even a, compar- a comparison. No, that's not the right word. A comparison. Peyton Watson was great in the G League. At the end of the season, he came into the regular rotation and actually played really well also. And we talk about where's the path. Well, Tom Bryant, Zeke Nagy, Jeff Green. Who of those guys is going to be there forever? None of them. Bryant's not going to be there. Green's 38 years old. Najee's, who knows where he's at. But there's a role here for him. And yes, Aaron Gordon and Maga Porter Jr. are still young and in their prime, so he's not going to necessarily develop into this big-time starter. But at times, those guys can then get traded or leave in free agency or whatever and bring back more assets to build for the future. But he showed so much. He came in as a high-profile high school recruit to UCLA and got injured and never played. And played, you know, averaged three points a game. The Nuggets took the risk on him. I think it paid off. I am not looking at him as this surefire, absolute stud starter. But for a guy that ranked outside the top 450, played eight games or eight minutes in 23 games, I'm really interested in what he can do. There is steals, blocks, rebounds, passing, scoring, shooting upside here. And that combination, while there's a 0.01% chance of it all coming together and hitting, makes me really, really interested in what it can do. And it probably won't be next season, but if you're in dynasty leagues, there is a buy opportunity for Peyton Watson. Now, people who have Peyton Watson might actually believe in him still, or they actually you know, hold the same view, so he might not be able to do it. And the EPM graph there is pretty rough. He just didn't play and had a couple of moments in the playoffs where he played, but he didn't show much. But towards the end of the season, and if you can see on this graph there, the EPM, the green line's like an average, rolling average of five games, right? Moving average. But you can see there's little individual dots towards the end where that dotted line, vertical dotted line, which is the definition between regular season and playoffs. And you'll see that those games, when we started to get minutes, big impact games, four really big impact games at the end of the season. And I'm not hanging everything on that. Some of it is his G League play, his physical profile, his statistical profile. I am very interested in where Peyton Watson goes from here. And guys, that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave those comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.